السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام الأتمان الأكملان على خير خلق الله أجمعين وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن سار على سبيله ونهجه ومن استن بسنته ومن اهتدى بهديه إلى يوم الدين أما بعد وقد قال تعالى في قرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم كل نفس ذائقة الموت صدق الله العظيم All praise, all thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has allowed us to sit for a little while to discuss this very important topic, the topic of deceased estates, completing one's will and inheritance as far as Islam and deen is concerned. So inshallah this program will be broken up into three parts. I'll just do a small introduction inshallah. Thereafter we have an alim who will do the practical component of completing the will. And at the end of the program about 10 to 15 minutes, there will be a question and answer by our one advocate Mufti Sahib. He'll do both the question and answers both from the legal side and also from any shari'i questions. So try and keep the questions in mind as the program is going and towards the end inshallah all the questions can be answered. In after the program, 10 to 15 minutes will be given for question and answers and afterwards if anybody else got any further questions, individually can ask questions inshallah. So this topic that we're discussing today inshallah is a very very important topic and it's a topic that affects most people and many of us don't even realize how important this topic is and we don't realize how important this is as part of our life and also as part of our transition process. Everyone likes to have a nice moth. Everyone likes to die peacefully. But do you ever think that as far as our financial affairs are concerned, will we have a a peaceful, a beautiful, easy transition as far as our financial affairs are concerned? And the beauty of Islam is everything is taken care of. If you look at just at the amount of adab and etiquette with regard to going to the toilet, approximately 17 adab only using the toilet. Which foot a person goes into the toilet, which foot he leaves, the dua he reads, at which point he removes his pants, how he makes his tinja, which direction he faces, all that is shown to us in our deen. So our deen is complete and beautiful, everything is shown to us. When a man is leaving the world also, when you are at his bedside, what, what you read, talqeen, when he passes away, what you're supposed to do, when you are standing for his janazah, what you're supposed to read in the janazah salah, when you're throwing sand in the qabr, what you're supposed to read, everything is shown to us. So as far as the estates also is concerned, this also is shown to us in our deen. What a beautiful deen we got. There was one person, non-Muslim, white person, he was showing some interest in Islam. So what had happened was, he was his grandfather had passed away and he was going for the funeral to Impangeni. So when he went for the funeral and he came back, I asked him one question. I said, what prayer did you make for your grandfather? He was a non-Muslim. What prayer did you make for your grandfather? You went so far, all the way to Impangeni. He said, we made one minute of silence. That was our prayer. One minute of silence and then after we started feasting because that's all we knew what to do. So look at the beauty of Islam. Everything is shown to us. And as far as inheritance are concerned, is shown in detail in Quran. Unlike the other Masail, extracted from the ahadith, etc. As far as the shares are concerned of a deceased and his heirs, all that is shown very, very detailed in Quran. So in a time of jahiliyat, what would happen is the person that was the strongest or the people, for example, the cousin, the male, uncle or the brother that was the strongest and the most influential 
what he'd do is he'll come and claim the estate of the deceased. Whatever assets the person owned, I want it and I'll take it. So that was like the power. Person who had the power, he takes everything. So there was a sahabi by the name of Sa'ad ibn Rabi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was martyred in the battle of Uhud. When he was battled in the, when he was martyred in the battle of Uhud, what had happened was his two brothers had come and they claimed his whole estate. All the assets they claimed. So his wife, widow, she tells them that you're taking all the assets away. He's got two daughters. He's got two daughters. Nobody in the whole of Arabia will marry these two daughters because they left with absolutely nothing. So she protested, but there was no response from them. They still took everything. So she went and complained to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Allah ta'ala will decide in this matter. The ayats of inheritance, the ayats of miras were revealed. Surah Nisa, yusikumullahu fi awladikum. Then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, he called for them, and he said, two-thirds of the estate is going to go to the daughters. One-eighth is going to go to the wife, and the balance now will go to the brothers. So see how beautiful Islam is. It sorts and finalizes everything. So this estate issue is something very important. Brothers, is one misconception. What is the misconception? Is as part of our retirement and our succession planning, then we'll consider our estate, then we'll consider our will, then we'll worry about filling this will. This is a big misconception. Every person from the time is a baligh, he should ensure that he has a will. Nowadays, how many people we are hearing of passing away suddenly? Just in this last month, at least three janazas that I know of, maybe others will know of more, three janazas of people in their 40s. In their 40s, suddenly they went. In the month of Ramadan, there was one person that came to ask, ask me that, help me with my will, I'll complete the will. So he completed the will. And then in the month of Ramadan, he's telling me that I want to give so much of money to my children as a surprise for Eid. As an Eid surprise, I want to give them so much, a huge amount of money he wanted to give. Just a few days later after completing the will, at the time of Seri, this person had a heart attack and passed away. Gone. He didn't even get to see that moment where he wanted to gift also to his children. So surprise how quickly moth can come. Not too long ago, one person came on a Thursday. He said, I came to complete my will and I'm worried. It's worrying me that I need to complete my will. So anyway, will was given. And on, as he's leaving the office, he said, by, by the way, just give me one for my wife also. I'll get her also to complete her will. So anyway, he takes that will and I explained to him, as we're going along, we'll understand as far as gifting is concerned, this is something which is very important. What, what is a gift in Islam and when is a gift complete? Sometimes a person said, on my debt I'm gifting so much to this person, I'm gifting so much. Is that a valid gift in Islam? Or does a gift have to be executed, completed, accepted, possession taken by the person that is the donee, the person that is receiving that donation or that gift in the lifetime? So all these things are important, Masail. So anyway, this person took that. He said, let me take one for my wife. He took it. He called the children. So she did exactly what I told. That she must be gifted. They must take possession. He did this on, she did this on a Saturday. Sunday morning, this woman passed away. As quick as that. Thursday, the will was taken. Saturday, he called the family. Sunday morning, gone. Suddenly. So there are many people that just go. So we should never ever think that this moth is something far away. My Ustad Hazrat Mufti Sahib, Mufti Ibrahim Sahib, Salehji Sahib. So he once asked his Ustad Hazrat Mufti Mahmoud Sahib. That he said that I got a habit, I read Quran and I build up my sajda tilawat. So example, when I get 20 or 30 sajda tilawat, then I make all the sajdas one time. Is that okay? He said, my Ustad Hazrat Mufti Sahib gave me one answer. He said, kya moth ka koi barosa hai? Is there any guarantee of moth that you want to build up 20, 30 sajdas and then you want to make it? In other words, moth must be in front of you all the time. 
So if mort is in front of us, we won't delay as far as this world is concerned. This is something very important. Another thing as we're going through, which is very important, we must do it immediately. Or start, at least make a start, is know what assets belong to us. In other words, what belongs to me, what belongs to my wife, what belongs to my child. These are very important things. One person was sitting with me the other day, he told me my estate is very easy. I got my trust, where I got my properties and I got my business, so it's very easy. So I just asked him one question. I said, who is the owner of the trust? He started scratching his head. He said, you know what, I never thought about who is the owner. Often people put beneficiaries in there for tax purposes. They're not, they're not the real owners. From a Sharia perspective, we need to know who is the real owner. Then I asked him, who is the owner of your dining room table? And then again he started thinking. Whereas we should be knowing exactly each item in the house, who is the owner. So we make it very easy when we pass away. Now the executors know that each asset belongs to which person. Hazrat Mufti Shafi sahab, in his final illness, he was bedridden, so to speak. So a tray would, a plate, glass, etc. His food would be brought to the room where he was, in his bedroom. He'd be brought there. After he would eat from there, he'll tell them, take this plate and this, uh, and this tray quickly away back to the kitchen. So they'd ask him, Hazrat, what's the rush? He said, you see, I told my wife already, that everything in this bedroom, everything in this bedroom belongs to me. Everything in the rest of the house belongs to you. I don't want there should be a mistake that this plate is in the bedroom when I pass away. And they might think that this plate also belongs to me. And this is when a person has got taqwa. Recently there was an alim that had passed away. I'll finish on this inshallah. There was an alim that passed away. So he came to ask, <coughs> before he passed away, his father had passed away. So he came to ask a very strange question. He says, how do you value atar bottles and how do you value used kurtas. I found this a very strange question. How do you value other bottles? People ask us, how you value big companies? How do you value enterprises? What different types of valuation models they are? But nobody comes to ask, how do you value other bottles? And I asked him, why are you asking this question? He said, you see, my father passed away and they are minors in the estate. When they are minors in the estate, you have to be very careful of the valuation also. He said, because of that, I'm worried I mustn't shortchange the minors. My young sisters that are there, I don't want to shortchange them. That's why I want to know how to value these bottles also. So when there's taqwa in there, a person is worried about every cent. So this, getting our estate right, getting the world right is very important. Sometimes to take out that time and to sit and get all our documents in place. In other words, I own so many properties, where's the title deeds? Have I got those title deeds somewhere nearby? So when if I pass away, people don't have to start looking and hunting all over the house. Where's the title deeds? Where's the will? Where's the other logbooks, etc.? They know where it is. So it may take us two hours in our lifetime to get these documents already kept neatly in one place. But if we don't do that, sometimes it can take two years to sort out for the executors what we could have taken us two hours in our lifetime. So it's very, very important that a person in his lifetime, he gets all these issues sorted out. So it makes it very easy. The transition goes on very easy, very smooth. One more last thing before I, the next speaker comes to discuss how the world is completed. One thing that also is very important is understand when a person is alive, for example, the senior in the house, the father, the grandfather, etc., then his shadow has an effect on the family members of the house. There's a lot of peace, there's a lot of serenity, there's a lot of tranquility. When that person is gone, then you find that shaitan creates a lot of rift. So we shouldn't leave any loopholes where shaitan starts creating a rift, shaitan starts creating a problem. Now you find even if there was little bit enmity when that father was alive, the grandfather, that enmity now is doubled, tripled, it's cubed and multiplied. Why? Because now the senior is not longer, no longer there and it creates animosity and various types of problems. 
Therefore, try and be very, very transparent in your life. In our lifetime, be very transparent, even if it means calling all the children and making it known to them that these are all my assets, this is my will, this is what I'd like to do, these are my wishes, wasiyat. Call them, don't feel shy. People are scared and frightened to talk about this. This is something which is a reality, we should talk about it. If the family knows about it in our lifetime, then at the time of death it makes it very, very easy for the whole transition process to go through. May Allah Ta'ala give us all the tawfiq of making amal. So now what we'll go through inshallah is the world itself, how to practically complete it, how to fill in in and those rules and regulations as far as the worlds are concerned. And after that inshallah will be a Q&A session inshallah. Allah Ta'ala give us all tawfiq inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allah wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All kinds of praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our master, sustainer, most kind, beneficent Allah gave us wealth of iman. The challenge is that we leave this dunya with that iman. Allah has given us that which determines entry into Jannah. It is our duty and responsibility to try our level best to see to it that when we leave this world, we live with Iman. Allah has given us in dunya, fulfilled our needs, and Allah has given us all of those things that are necessary for us to secure our entry into Jannah. There are many, many places in the hadith where Nabi Wasallam indicates that if you do this, your entry into Jannah is secured. One of them is this filling out of a will. We'll discuss that at the end, inshallah. So Mulana mentioned already the origins of the will. Mulana gave the Sa'ad bin Rabi anhu. The incident that transpired, the point to take home from there is that the shares that are determined in an Islamic will are from Quran and Kareem itself. They are not something that we should, we should follow without questioning. There should be absolutely no doubt in it whatsoever. Like how we do not question the number of rakats in salah, or we don't question the percentages in zakah. In the same way, we cannot question, or we cannot have doubt in the shares which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has stipulated himself in the Quran al-Karim. The laws of salah and the laws of zakat and all the other laws are not explicitly mentioned in the Quran. The hukam, the command is given, but the explanation is found in the hadith. But as far as the stipulation of shares, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has stipulated all of the shares in the Qur'an. So this is a matter of our iman. Today the feminist mindset, we had one of our musallis, he went to his accountant and he had his will drawn up. So when, he, when we did this program in our masjid, he told the imam, he said, hey, you know what, I think mine is a bit different because the accountant told me that look, this Islamic shares are not going to work for you because you only got daughters. So in the event, everybody will know that if you don't have sons, then your brothers will inherit from you as well. Your daughters will inherit, your wife will inherit, and your brothers will inherit from you as well. If you've got a son, then the brothers don't inherit. So he didn't have any sons, he only had daughters. So the accountant told him that this Islamic world is not, Shari'i world is not going to work for you. That this is a matter of Iman. If a person says, takes it out and says it on his tongue, this is not going to work for me, he's actually saying that that which Allah had revealed in the Quran is not going to work for me. So, very important that we understand this. This freedom of testation is something that is exclusive to the secular system, where they can do whatever they like to do. If a person so wills, and they've done it, he wants to leave his entire estate to his dog, 
Then he'll appoint trustees and leave, leave his entire estate to the dog. It has happened in this ajib dunya we're living in. But as far as we are concerned, we don't have a choice in this matter. So before we go to the world itself, we just have to discuss a few things. The first is the marital regime. So in, in South African law, in the context of South African law, there are one of three possibilities. Either you married in community of property, or you married antinuptial with accrual, or antinuptial without accrual. So very briefly, all technical terms, community of property means that everything you owned before you were married and after you were married will be divided by two between the two spouses. With accrual will mean everything after marriage will be divided by two. And without accrual means what belongs to you belongs to you and what belongs to her belongs to her. That is the one which if you do have a court married, then that's the one you ought to have. So if a person is married in community of property, it's not possible for him to have a shari will. Because a shari will will determine the procedure is that upon the demise of somebody, the heirs will write to the Darul Iftah. This person passed away, this person passed away. They'll give you a specific, they'll give you a share certificate specifying in there what is going to go to who. So the wife, naturally, she's going to get one eighth, twelve and a half percent. Whereas the law is going to say, no, she can't get twelve and a half percent because she was married in community of property. So half is going to go to her. Now at that time, is she going to be able to resist the temptation and say, no, I'm not going to take half. Only 12.5% is mine. 50% is not mine. The balance must go to my children. Will she be able to ask for a redistribution? Will she do it? So first, before you do it, you cannot have a valid Islamic will if you don't have your marital regime sorted out. Now, how to sort it out? The legal procedure is quite expensive. The lawyers will tell us. The last we found out, it's if you want to change the marital regime, it costs about 50,000 rand. It was a little while ago. I don't know what it costs now. But there is one way around it. And that is to go through a divorce procedure. This is, on this platform, it's not possible to discuss this. There's very fine details about it. If somebody does something wrong a little bit, the actual talaq can fall. First of all, the man can't do it. The woman is going to do it. It's going to be done in writing. The man can't instruct his wife to do it. There's a whole lot of things because tafweer, talaq, there's a whole lot of things. So at this platform, we can't. So if you are married in community of property and you need to go through that procedure, then contact the ulama, those that are in the know, Muftisab, we have, mashallah, we have many ulama here. Contact them and let them put you through the process step by step. Get that marital regime changed. Divorce, for us, is, is worth nothing. That divorce means nothing. But thereafter, you can be able to fix your marital regime. Then you can have a village rewal. We had one Musalli, one of the masjids, one of the towns we went. So we mentioned this. And he came to me after the program. He said, Mulana, I think I divorced my wife a long time ago. Because he didn't know. He thought, I'm just going to the court. And he went to the court and he said, I want a divorce. And he did the whole procedure. He thought he's not giving, it's only a legal procedure as far as he's concerned. But he said, and he wrote, whatever it was. So the process was that his divorce had already fallen many years ago. So it's a very sensitive thing. Go to the ulama, let them guide you through it step by step, get it sorted out, then you can have an Islamic world. Another thing, determining of ownership, Mulana touched on it. There's no such thing as anything belongs to the home. Normal, normally the father is a breadwinner. So he'll buy a fridge and bring it home. It's part of his duty and responsibility of looking after his children or his family. So it belongs to him. But sometimes he bought a hadia. He bought a kettle, pretty wife liked it, whatever it is, he bought it and he gave it to his hadia. So all of these things must be determined before you pass away. If you do not know while you're living, if you don't know what belongs to who, after you pass away, it's going to be a nightmare for your children. 
especially, Mulana touched on this, especially if they are orphan children. If they are adults and they consent, normally when they are adults, all the children are adults. So after the father or mother passes away, then the children will sit down and say, look, mommy's clothes or daddy's clothes. We don't really, nobody needs it. I only want a jacket, I want the belt, I want the stick, whatever. Give the balance away to some poor person. But if there's an orphan child present, then you are unable to just distribute. His consent will not be acceptable. You will have to keep his rightful share for him. Either you keep it in kind or convert it to cash at a market-related value and he must benefit from it. You cannot just distribute and give it away. So if you didn't determine in the house what belongs to who, when you pass away, it becomes difficult for them. Other thing Molana mentioned also touched on it, items that are put for tax purposes put on somebody's name. It doesn't constitute ownership. So be very clear about your matters because the day you're not there, don't leave your children with a legacy of dispute. Everybody must understand and everybody must know what, what transpired. What was your intention when you put it on that person's name? Was it just avoid taxes or whatever it may be? It must be very clear. Now, when is it necessary and when is it compulsory for a person to have a will? In our significant context, if you own anything, if you own anything that is a house or anything, uh, uh, money in the bank, or anything that will have to go through the state procedure, through the court procedure to distribute, then it's necessary for you to have a will. Because if you don't, what will happen then in the absence of a will, it will be distributed interstate. The court will use their discretion and they'll give it out according to they want, whatever they want to do. So it's necessary for you to leave, if you leave a house behind and the shares, and your children will not be getting their rightful shares, your wife will not get her rightful shares, and you'll be responsible for it. If you have any qada salah, if you have qada salah, on, on the qada salah, on the salah aspect, salah is not a suggestion from Allah. Salah is a command from Allah that we have no choice in whatsoever. Even when a person is sick and unable to move, even at that time with ishara, he has to perform salah. So if there is, in our lifetimes, Allah gave us tawfiq, we start performing salah. But there is 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever amount of qada we got left. It is necessary for us to leave a wasiyah for our families to pay the fidya for that. If we don't leave the wasiyah, they don't, they don't have to pay it. You will be... Imagine the frustration and the despair in the qabr. You left behind so much money. They could have taken out that amount of money and paid the, for your salah. But nobody is doing it because you never left a wasiyah for it. So if you have qada salah, if you have anything immovable, house, asset, then it becomes necessary for you. If you've got any amount in the bank, then it becomes necessary for you. Who needs to have a will? Any balir, male, female, should have a will. In the South African context, only a 16-year-old's will is recognized. But your child is balir, let him have. 14 years old, let her, 13 years old, let her sign a will. The virtue will be coming to it at the end, inshallah. That virtue will be fulfilled. When they reach 16, they'll have to renew it. Just buy another one, cheap. Now, alhamdulillah, these ones were made very cost-effective. Actually, they, they just, just below cost. They're not even being sold at cost. So it's easy. After some time, you need to change it again, another 20 rand, buy it and fill in another one. In terms of filling in the will, now we come to the will itself. There's some things, the accountants, lawyers, that we sat with, alhamdulillah, the, the, this particular will took us a long time to draft. Many, many different drafts were taken, put together, discussed with accountants, with lawyers, with muftiyani, kiram, with ulama, and eventually we came up with this. The focus was that I must fulfill my shari responsibility and just make sure that whatever the, le in, in the legal aspects are also covered. This, for us, this is a connection with akhirat. In terms of dunya, we can't hold on to the wealth that we got. 
We have to now, we're passing on from here. So we have to leave our matters, rectify our matters before we go. So the first thing is, oh, this, so one of the account, one of the lawyers told us, he said 80% or 90%, I don't recall, that of the generic worlds, that the worlds that we have in front of you, are invalid by the time they come to us. So these are simple things that are done wrong, and if you do it that way, then the world is, world is invalid in the court. Number one, it must be in black ink only. So if you sign, if you sign in any other color ink, it's not acceptable to them. It must be single-sided. Okay, this one is printed, so it's single-sided. And the electronic signature is not acceptable. It must be in wet ink. So a pencil won't work. It must be in black, wet ink. And there should be no blank spaces left in the world. Those are just one or two of the uh, things to note when you are actually filling it in. Now we come to those that have the world. You can open it. We come to page one. It's page two on yours. ID undersigned holding ID number. Ensure that the name and ID number is correct. This can't be fixed up later, isn't it? You can't come there by the cover and say, no, why? This one made a mistake here, resign here. So just make sure. Sometimes we are accustomed to writing our name in a particular way because it's spelled differently in the ID. So all life we wrote it like that. Just make sure that it's right. So number one, revocation of previous wills. An important thing to note here is, first of all, a verbal bequest is acceptable in Sharia, is accepted in Sharia. So if a person makes a bequest, he makes a wasiyah, and he says, when I pass away, this car of mine must go to that madrasa. He made that bequest, his children will be under obligation to fulfill that. When you're filling in this, verse, you, this will, you're cancelling all previous bequests, everything that you did before, you're cancelling it. So if you did make a, a verbal bequest, then you have to remake it again. In terms of the verbal bequest, it's best to commit it to writing. First of all, the court won't accept a verbal bequest. The court is not going to accept somebody, one of your children, saying, my daddy wanted this to go there. They're not going to accept that. Sharia, it will be acceptable. But if there's a dispute amongst your siblings and some, for some bequest that you made, then the qadi, the mufti, will, will require testimony as well. So it's best to commit it to writing. Now we go to the next one, nomination of executors. So executor is that person who will be in charge of your affairs after you pass away. Now we have to choose wisely who we're going to put there. Somebody who's capable, knowledgeable, trustworthy. Somebody, this person is going to have your entire estate at his disposal. What he does with it, you'll be in the cover, but you're directing him to do it how you want it done. So be hoshiar about who you put in there. Somebody was telling me now recently in the last program, someone came and said, Malan, I got a message from FNB that they'll do it for free for me. That thing is for free. If anything is for free, you're the product. They're not going to do anything for free for you. There's going to be a cost later to your family. And do you want a haram riba institution to be fulfilling the last obligation of your life in this dunya? Do you want that to happen? Those are not the people. Your executor must be. One is also important to mention, we'll mention it here. At least one family member put them in. It's not necessary to have a family member. It's advisable to have in the South African context and in Sharan also no problem. In the South African legal context, if you have a family member as an executor, then there's one of the clauses mentioned in front. For security, sometimes the court may say, look, this person is an executor in this world, but we don't know if whether he's going to run away with this entire estate. Because it's at his disposal, he's going to sign things off. So they might ask for securities. If you have a family member on, more often than not, they're not going to trouble you. They won't require anybody to have a, they won't require security. So have a family member on, and then anybody else who you find who is responsible, who is capable, who is able to do the work for you. Executors should be informed. 
common decency, courtesy that you inform him. It mustn't be that he, tomorrow you die and somebody come to him by you have to do this. But if you did do that, first of all, if a person wasn't informed, if he wasn't informed and in your, lifeti- in your lifetime you later tell him and he says, look, I can't do this, it's difficult for me, then you can't, he won't be under obligation. If you pass away and they come to him and they say, look, daddy left you in the world as the executor, and at that time he accepts it. If he accepts it at that time, then he's stuck, he can't, he can't go out of it. But if at that time he says, no, I, I excuse myself, I can't, then the family will have to nominate another executor. Then it becomes complicated because whether the court will accept, uh, accept that one is just unnecessary. So in your lifetime, inform. Courtesy demands that you go to him, you tell your family member, whether it's your wife, your son, whoever's going to be the executor, and anybody else, maybe the imam sahab, whoever, friends, family, whoever's going to be doing it, inform them. It's recommended to have three executors, not necessary, even one is sufficient, but if that one dies with you or predeceases you and you don't update your will, you're going to end up with a problem. If you have two, it's also sufficient. Three, if there's a dispute, according to them, if there's a dispute between, between the three of them, they'll be able to sort it out. If you don't have three and there's only one or two you're putting, now on that nomination of executors, there's one ID number, two ID number, three ID number. If you're filling in all khair, if not, then strike through. Don't leave a blank space in there. The blank space will invalidate the will. So the only thing you need to do, we're going to come to the discussion at the end now, inshallah. The only thing you effectively need to do to have a shari will is now while you're sitting here to think about who you, your executors are going to be. That's the only thing we really have to do. After that, it's just to put the names and ID numbers and have witnesses, witness it and you sign it. Then your obligation of having a will is fulfilled. So now the first step is while you're going through all of this, your mind must work who's going, who's going to be the executor. Can a person decide? Okay, next one. Security, that one we mentioned it already. Number three, page number three, number, point number three. If you have a family member, then you putting it in your will that your executor doesn't have to provide security, but sometimes they still ask for it. Number four, this is actually your will. Administration by Islamic law. Effectively, this is your will, your wasiyah. Your shari and your legal responsibility is fulfilled by this number four, five, six. Number five, number six, and thereafter, it's all the, the discussion on it. It gives them more detail on it. But this is actually your will. So before we go to that, just a few clarifications. As are the people that you leave after you pass away. Often we hear people, or people, senior people, they say, look, I gave my children their shares already. There's no shares before you pass away. They are not your heirs. If you're giving your children, if you're giving your siblings, your, the children amongst the siblings, they must be given equally. Unless there's some reason and it's not going to create dispute amongst them. But by and large, it should be given equally. It shouldn't be that you're giving... Boys double, girls single, because you're thinking it's their shares. They only become heirs after your demise. Another important clarification, it's not necessary for us to stipulate shares in the will. Allah's system is perfect. We always say according to Allah's command, this is what we're saying. According to Allah's command, this is what must be done, finish. That's all that. When the mufti decides at that time who's alive, this is a living will. So the day you pass away, whoever is left in your estate... Things change if you if you have son a son and a daughter and your son predeceases you. The entire estate distribution changes. We'll ask the ask Muftiyani Karam. It changes. If your parents are there, if your grandchildren are there, there's a whole lot of different things, a whole lot of things that will change when the, in the absence of one. So we don't have to stipulate shares. There's nothing for you to do. You just have to nominate executors and sign the will. When you pass away, the Mufti that's his responsibility. 
Now we go to the next page, number seven. So this is actually what you... Well, this is what you're leaving your family to do. This is what you're telling them to do. The first thing is the discharge of debts and obligations. يُغْفَرُ لِشَهِيدٍ كُلٌّ إِلَّا الدَّيْنِ A shaheed, a martyr, everything for him is forgiven except debt. Everything. Whatever he did in his life, Allah is saying everything forgotten, forgiven, no problem. But if you owed somebody money, that is not forgiven. So your first thing you're saying here is that if I have any debts, all of that. So first your funeral expenses will be taken out. The executors are not entitled to payment. Important. People who you leave as executors in your will, they're not, not entitled to payment for, them, for their services. They can pay the lawyer and the accountant and whatever fees they need to pay, but they cannot take, they can, they cannot take a fee for, for what they're doing. So the first charge to your estate will be your debts. And if your debt, if your debts, if it means that your debts exceed what you have left, and it depletes your entire estate, then no problem. That will be done first. That will be the first charge to your estate. The second one, discharge of outstanding religious obligations. So you have qada, salah, women qada, fast, whatever kafara you have, all of that. If you left a wasiya for it, becoming there, there is there are forms, there are codicils put into the world that you can fulfill and, and uh, is very easily get it done. Up to one third of your entire estate, your children will be under obligation to fulfill. So if you owe, in terms of your fidya or your kafara or whatever, if you're owing 100,000 rand, and your estate is 300,000 rand, then they will have to pay up to 100,000, they'll pay it. But if that one-third is less than what you own, so you own only 200,000 you left, and you owe 100,000, they won't be under obligation, they'll only be under obligation up to one-third. Beyond that, if they want to do it, they're at liberty to do it. And if there's an orphan child, then it cannot be done. The orphan child's share will have to be given to him in full. Bequest, yeah, in 9.3, I further direct, just a simple point here, that if you left something, so you're living in your will, if in your lifetime you made such a bequest, which is against Sharia, you're simply stating here, that if I, did, if I made a mistake, then absolve me of it, According to what Allah's deen wants, that's, will, that's what will happen. Now there's a whole lot of, there's a whole, few things to, under discussion, we'll discuss it first be, before we go to the next page. So the discussion first on bequest, gifting, and the sale of an item. First point to remember, verbal bequests are valid, but commit them to writing, we mentioned, just to avoid confusion. For example, person says, when I die, my car will go to so-and-so person. It must be committed to writing. Now let's understand the difference between gifting, bequest, and a sale. Gifting is something you give in your lifetime to somebody who is alive, you give it to them. The requirement is that they must take ownership of the take possession of it. So if now, for example, everybody is witness here, and I say, Molana, this is hadiah for you. This pen is hadiah for you. You also, I said that. And I leave it here. We carry on with the program, and I pass away before Molana is actually taken possession of it. This will go into my estate. So in order for gifting to be complete, I have to understand this carefully. In order for gifting to complete, to be complete, complete ownership must take place. Often this mistake is made like this. The father will say, look, this house or this car or this part of whatever is, is gifting it to his son. This is yours. But he keeps it. There's no shakal. There's no form of transferring of ownership on there. Nothing. If the person passes away at that time and the person who he had gifted to, his, his child, whoever it was, didn't take ownership of it, all that will go back into the estate. Often this mistake is made about the house. Father say, the day I am not here, this house belongs to 
my wife. It belongs to mommy. Or he, say, he says, mommy, I gave you this house, it's yours. But there's no, there's no transferring of anything. If the house, for example, Muftiyani Karam say that the house, if you say you gave your wife the house, then it means take your possessions, your personal possessions out of the house, give her the keys, now it's yours. Now you've taken out of it. It's hers, it belongs to her. She's now responsible for lights and water, bills and everything, maintenance and everything else. If you do it for her after that, no problem. Now you take permission from her, can I stay in the house? This is mine. No problem, you stay in the house. So that gift is complete. But if you say this house is gifted to mommy and you pass away, there was no shekel of a transfer of ownership. When you pass away, that will not be hers. It will go into your estate. So the first thing we have to understand, gifting. As opposed to trade, a sale. In sale is only ijab in qabul. It's an offer to purchase and acceptance. So if I tell Molana now, Molana, I'm selling this pen, 20 rand. Molana says, okay, done, deal is done, I bought it, I owe you 20 rand. I pass away now. Molana will owe my estate 20 rand, and my estate will have to give this to him. In the sale, transfer of, own, of take, possession is not necessary. In gift, it's, in gifting, it's necessary. The third one is the bequest. A bequest is basically a gift after you pass away. So you're leaving a bequest in your will, that when I pass away, this must be given to so-and-so person. So we understood the three different things. Huh? We, 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 often this is, is an area where we make mistakes and it leads to dispute afterwards. And we leave bitterness amongst our siblings and our, our children and, and amongst their siblings and our, uh, amongst our family because we didn't clarify it. Another important matter to understand is that Securing your spouse. Often we hear, no, I want to secure my wife in the event I die. She's only going to get, according to me, she's only going to get 12.5% and no tekana today. My children, what are they going to do? So I want to leave something for her. Now, before we come to that, okay, this is an important thing. Bequesting, you're allowed to bequest for anybody. You can say, I want to leave 100,000 rand for my appa that was in madrasa or for the masjid or for whoever you want to do. You can bequest for anybody. If you bequest for your heirs, so in other words, if you leave a bequest for somebody that's going to inherit from you, then your heirs will determine among themselves whether that bequest will be upheld or not. Now understand what will, happen, what will be happening. You say, the house must be given to mommy. I bequest it to mommy. Now you pass away. All the children are sitting there. They sit down to discuss. And they take out this form and they say, Daddy said, it's a bequest he made Wasia that the house must be given to mommy. But your son is saying, I'm renting. I can't afford to pay the rent. I'm entitled to a big portion of this house. I'm battling my children. I don't have, I don't have food on the table. Look, I can't. Unfortunately, sadly, I can't. Mommy can't take the house for her. I need the house. What will happen thereafter? There'll be animosity. You would have left and a legacy of animosity between your wife and your children. Or even among siblings, same thing. If you say, one son must be given this part of the business, or this business is his. That bequest for an heir will only be upheld if all the other heirs accept it. Now they sit down, all the brothers, sisters sit down, and they say, daddy said, this shop must go to the son. If anybody objects to that, and he'll be within his right to object to it. There's nothing wrong with him saying, that no, no, I can't, I need it myself. What will happen? Forever thereafter. Daddy wanted to give it to me, but you didn't want to. They'll have animosity, there'll be enmity there forever. So don't leave a bequest for an heir. A bequest is for anybody besides an heir. 
So this, this is now leaving something for your wife. We've had people come to say, Molana, you know, she worked with me whole life. This business, we grew it together. So if she's entitled to something, then give it to her. It's her own possession. She worked for it, just like you worked for it. She worked for it. Give it to her. Now, dunya beri you get you thinking, hey, if I leave this house, half if I give to a house, if I give the house to her, tomorrow I die, she get married, no, I'd rather leave it, man. If, you, if she's deserving of it, give it to her. Otherwise, leave it according to the Sharia. Whatever Allah Ta'ala will determine for her to get, she'll get. There's no foolproof way of securing any air. Long time ago when we just started off, Imam Imam one Masili came to me, old man, he passed away now, Rahmatullahi. He said, Mawlana, what is, how am I going to secure, exactly this, secure my spouse? So we asked the muftis at that time, that time they said, look, there's about 15 different ways of doing this, but none of them foolproof. Each one of them, if you do it this way, then that is a potential. If you do this, then that is possibility. There's no foolproof way. If you want to give something in your lifetime, give it to them, finish. When you're in the qabr, don't worry what's going on on top there. You've got other things to deal with there at the bottom. Okay, for grandchildren, bequesting for grandchildren. So if your son has predeceased you or your daughter has predeceased you, that means your son won't get anything and your grandchildren also won't get anything because you've got other sons, they're going to be inheriting. So you're allowed to bequeath for your grandchildren. You're allowed to bequeath for them as long as they are not going to be heirs at that time. If they're going to be heirs, then you mustn't bequeath for them. So if your son passed away or your daughter passed away and they've left children and you want to bequeath, up to one third you can bequeath, bequeath for them. The same thing will apply to somebody who's got a step son, step daughter, in, uh, adopted child. Up to one third you're allowed to bequeath for them. Recently in one of the towns somebody said, Malana, I didn't have children. Now we managed to get one child, Alhamdulillah, brought up. She's six years old now. It's only me, my wife, and the whole estate. How, how are we going to do this? Because this child won't inherit from me. So up to one-third, up to 33%, you're able to bequeath for her. The balance, leave it to Allah. Whatever, whatever Allah's determination will in it will be, it will be distributed accordingly. In terms of bequest, important to note, don't make a bequest. If your estate is big enough that you can make a bequest, a wasiyah, to leave money for a masjid and to build whatever, and leave for your children as well, then alhamdulillah. But don't leave your children with the begging bowl. It mustn't be that you got a little bit, now you send it one third of it to the masjid already, your children are in need themselves. Very important that we, we, we don't do that. But actually, in your lifetime, what you can do, do it. Get it done in your lifetime. Don't expect anybody to do any, for anything for you after you pass away. We had the case of brother passed away in our community. He left a huge sum of, sum of money. Huge sum, in the hundreds of millions. When he passed away, one of my family, Alim, was a family member, a friend of the family. So he went to the son and said, look, when Terry passed away, all of a sudden, he was quite young, and uh, built a masjid for him. One million, two million, put somewhere in a location, put a masjid for him. The son said, in French, this is my money. I got nothing, to, my father got nothing to do with it. So do what you can in your lifetime. As much sadaqah as you can give, whatever you can do, whatever you can do in your lifetime, do it, finish. As the Shaykh Hamdulillah in Fadali Sadaqat mentions, there will be a declaration on the day of Qiyamah. 
We are the poor ones of the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Let them go around the rows of people destined for Jahannam and look for those who had given them a morsel of food for Allah Ta'ala's sake or a sip of water to drink or a piece of new or old clothing. Take them by the hand into Jannah. On that, all the poor of the Ummah will rise and look around for such people and get them their entry into Jannah saying that they did them such and such good turn. All the young and old of the Ummah, Ummah's poor will thus get many people entry into Jannah. Whatever you can do in your lifetime. You can't take the, the wealth that we have, we can't take it with us. We're going to leave it. This is something else also we need to understand. Your risk is only debt which you consumed in your lifetime. What you ate, clothes that you wore, the roof, the car that you drove. Whatever excess was just passed on from your ancestors to your heirs. It was not your risk. So the wealth that we have, spend it in such a way that when you come on the other side, it will be welcoming you. Allah has promised many things. You do this so much, you'll find it in Jannah. So spend it so you'll find it in Jannah. Here we go to the next important thing. Do not make impermissible bequests. Very important thing. A few important points here as far as moving the body. Foreigners, people, expats, many times we hear this happens and they do it. That when I pass away, take my body to, back to my country of origin. What is the process before your body can be taken back? The coroners, the people that do it, whatever you call them. The process is, they remove all the blood and they inject the chemical, formaldehyde. The same coroners say that when, if that falls on the floor in the, in the surgery, it burns your eyes, it's so strong. They're going to be pumping this into your veins. And then randomly they take a syringe and they inject your abdomen with it. If that burns the eyes when it's on the floor, what's it doing to your body? In the hadith, Nabi Sassam says, Kasr al if you to break the bone of a deceased person is like breaking his bone when he's alive. So the person is feeling it. If your family members have left it was yet, then for Allah's sake, don't fulfill that. Bury him here. In Barzakh, there's no space. Whether he's buried here, whether he's buried in India, Pakistan, whether he's buried in China, it's going to make no difference to him on that side. Just you'll be subjecting him to so much difficulty. The other one is cremation. And some, when the first time we said it, then the people said cremation, Muslim people. Two programs before this. After the program, no, sorry, two weeks ago, we had Mashwara, one, one, of, one of the ulama came late. He said, sorry man, a family member came to us now. They went for a cremation. Where they went? They went for a cremation. And they were worried now, what happened to our iman? But they actually went for a cremation. They went for a cremation of a Muslim person. So if you leave that wasiyat, before the adab of the akhirah, Allah save us. Already you will be subjecting yourself in this dunya. If your family members have done this, then for Allah's sake, that is something that you shouldn't fulfill. Organ donation is the same thing. Leaving your body for science, it shouldn't be fulfilled. Our bodies don't belong to us. This is the amanah from Allah. At that time, it's finished, it's done, we have to leave it. Whatever Allah, is, whatever Allah has said we must do with that body now, we have to do it. Okay, so the first three, after the balance of the first three, now the residue of my estate. Page 5, number 10. Now what is left according to Allah's determination, according to the shares mentioned in the Quran, will be given to your children. So your wife will get one-eighth, your children, will, your sons will get double, daughters will get single, your parents will get one-sixth. Depends. Allah Ta'ala has given those specific shares. The procedure is simple. After you pass away, 
a list of all the heirs, a list of all the people that have been left behind will be given to the mufti. They'll simply, the Darul Ifta will just tell you 12.5% for this person, 12, 15 for this person. That share certificate is submitted to the court. The court will transfer properties according to that. Of recent family member passed away, there were few children, and each child, 17.5%. So they became 17.5% shareholders in that house. That shareholder certificate is what is given to the court, and they'll transfer the assets accordingly. Married beneficiaries, number 11, just this is another safety issue matter put into here. If one of your children are married in community of property, you're simply saying here that if my son or daughter are married in community of property and they don't fix their marital regime before I pass away, then whatever they get from my estate won't be shared with the spouse. Number 11 just is basically saying that. Number 12, collation. Collation is in your lifetime if you were given, if you had given one item to your son or your daughter, then after you saying that there will be no collation, in other words, that will not be put back into the estate. I was sitting outside in the car, I just came came home, one of our Muslims drove past stop, he said, Mulan, I got a problem. My father gave me this lounge suite, it's worth 50,000 and he passed away. Now my brothers and sisters are saying, no, this thing is 50,000 and you have to put it back into the estate. So you directing here, there's no collation. What you had done in your lifetime was given, it's finished, it doesn't have to be collated and brought back into your estate. Minors, this is important, important to have this clause in our certificate context. If you have minor children, and you do not leave an Islamic world, the court can take your money and put it into what is called the guardian's fund and accrue interest until that child reaches of age. Now understand what is happening, understand what's the possibilities. Firstly, you will be gone to the cover. Your halal wealth will be accruing haram riba, that which, that which brings the wrath and the anger of Allah. Then your child now grows up and now is 17 or 18 years old at whatever age you're going to give it to him. You left him 500,000 rand. After 15, 20 years, it's no longer 500, now it's 5 million. Will your child be able to resist the temptation and say, you know, daddy only left 500,000, the other 4.5 million, I have to give it away without the intention of, of, of reward. So you're going to be leaving your children with difficulty if you don't have an Islamic will, and if the money is put into the, into the guardian's fund, you'll be responsible for it. One point here, 13.1.4. We're not going to go through everything, just the important things so you know what will you're leaving. We, this was discussed many times with, uh, this was discussed at length with the Muftiyani Karam, the senior Muftis. Eventually, the, the decision was that if a child who is delinquent, Allah forbid, Allah forbid, if one of your children is drug addict or has some issue, then the executor will be able to hold his wealth until he's 25 years old and spend on him whatever is needed. By the age of 25, you're directing here now that he must be given to him. Because how long are you going to hold it on? He's 25, he's an adult, he's a man already, he's responsible. How long is your executor going to hold on to his wealth? When he's 50, 60, 80, if he's still got the same habits, what is he going to do? So by 25, you're directing here, by the age of 25, and this was by the decision of our senior muftis, that by the age of 25, give it to him. Whatever it is now, whatever he does with it, that's his business. This is an important point here, if you have a mentally challenged child, very easy to do while you're living. Just create what is called a testamentary trust. Just create a trust. Speak to the lawyers, they'll do it for you. Accountants, they'll do it for you. You create a trust. Nothing in the trust. You nominate the trustees. You nominate the beneficiary that will be your child. And maybe your aunt, the child's auntie, your sister, whoever's going to be looking, you put them as trustees there. So the day you pass away, for the child that is challenged, whatever his share is going to be, will automatically go into that trust. It's very easy, immediately we transfer it into the trust. The trust is made already. It's not going to cost anything. And it will be able to use it for, for his expenses. We go to the next one, number 15. If you make any alterations or additions, 
It requires the signatures of the people that signed the will initially and your signature. It's easier to just take another one, 20 rand, buy another one, fill it in. Because there's a specific legal procedure to be followed. If you don't do that, uh, then it will invalidate the will. Now we come to the witnesses. At the bottom you see the undersigned witnesses. On page 7 we're looking at, thus thus done and signed by me with, with, with these witnesses. So just a few points with regard to witnesses. Number one, an heir should not be a witness. An heir or any potential heir should not be a witness in the will. It will invalidate the will. So your children or any, anybody that's a potential, your grandson is a potential heir, because if you pass away, your son passes away immediately after that, the executor, will, the, the mufti will say, that the percentage will go because it, your son owned it and now it's going to become his, it's his child, so it will go to him. So any heir or any potential heir mustn't be a witness. It will invalidate the will. An executor cannot be a witness, obviously. Anybody who is, can be just disputed, they can say, oh, but you executors and you are the witness yourself. How can that be? So an executor cannot be a witness. Any beneficiary cannot be. Even somebody who you left was here for. So you say, okay, my appa, when I was in Madrasa, I'm leaving so much money for her. She can't sign in your, in your will. Or anybody for that matter. Any beneficiary cannot be a witness. South African law doesn't recognize the testimony of anybody under 14. Although according to Sharia it will be accepted. But the South African law doesn't allow it. So your will won't be valid in court. Make sure it's somebody that's older than 14. The will must be signed in the physical presence of each other. So the person who's filling in the will, you fill it in. You sign your will, and the witness, he's actually testifying, he's giving shahadat. He's saying that I saw this person signing his will. I bear testimony that this is actually his will. So it should be done in the physical presence. Shara'an, one male, two females, perfectly in order. According to the Sarifican law, if it's two females, also they'll accept it. According to us, it won't be. There has to be one male and two females. Now you'll see there's only place for two signatures everywhere. So if you're having one lady, one, two ladies and a man as witnesses, no problem. Wherever there's a space, let them put their names in and fill it in there. We didn't leave an additional space because if there's an additional space, then the court will say, but now where's that third person? Why he didn't sign? This is your will. Why he didn't sign as witness there? So if you're having two ladies and a man, just put the name wherever it is. What happens if a person cannot sign? This is also something that happens often. person is on his deathbed, he's sick. Mommy, daddy is in hospital now. They're not in a position to sign. What must be done? Legally, what will be the requirement? So either you, you'll require a commissioner of oaths to be present. Then the person will either just put an X or put a thumbprint at all the places where, he, where he's supposed to be doing it. The commissioner will sign it and he'll later give you a certificate to that effect. So a person who cannot sign the will, is now in that position where he can't sign the will, he also has to leave a will. So how he'll how, how do it? Simple, an X, a thumbprint, whatever sign he can make, and the commissioner will then give you a certificate, a certificate accordingly. Important, a few miscellaneous things, important, don't conceal any information about spouses and children. Sometimes nobody knows about the second appa somewhere. Now the second upper won't inherit if you didn't tell anybody that she is there. And she'll be, you'll be depriving her of her inheritance. So make, if they, whatever, you're going from the dunya, now finish, it's over. Make sure that everybody knows. Maybe they won't make so much dua for you like they would have made if they were alone. But kya kare now, that's the risk you took. All heirs should be informed of the existence of an Islamic world. Keep it in a safe place known to your heirs. Now important thing, 
often when we're doing this, we go to families that have passed away. Somebody passed away. Now they're screaming, looking for the ID document. Then they don't know what is the electricity number to recharge the electricity. They don't know what is the password for the Wi-Fi. All of these things, the tax number, debit orders, they, every, everybody is in chambers. That is not something that is planned for. You don't know when it's going to happen. Tomorrow you're gone, finish. That, in addition to the grief of your loss, is going to be the grief of having to deal with all of these matters. So write it down, put everything. When you pass away, they'll take out one file and say, okay, daddy, one of my family members passed away recently. We could access everything of his. All his usernames, passwords, for everything was in order. Everything was like meticulously written down. It made it so easy for, for his family to, con- to continue with their lives. Should you wish to customize a will, if you got, now if you got uh, trust, that again, it's a complicated thing. If you've got a trust, a few accountants, the seniors accountants that said, they spoke, they spoke to me when we were making this, they said, look, using a, a trust as a vehicle to evade taxes is no longer really feasible. One that accountant said, it's like kicking the can down the road. Either you pick the can up now, or your children are going to have to pick it up later. Either you pay the tax now, or they're going to have to pay, pay the tax later. But if you do want to customize it, then go to somebody who is familiar with the Shari aspects as well. Very important. Because they're going to do something wrong. This is your last connection with the dunya. This is your last testament. This is the last thing you're going to be leaving instruction for in the dunya. And you don't want to be leaving an instruction which is against Allah's command. There's no zakat on an estate before its distribution. Just by the way, just not by the way, just for, to understand that while the estate is being wound up, the money is in the account. You only receive the money two years later. So for that two years, often we've asked this question was asked, that's why included here. For that two years, until you didn't receive the money, nobody pays the card on it. All estates, do them as, as soon as possible. We've got land in India, or wherever, or countries of origin. These things become more and more complicated as the generations go by. But if there is in your family, your grandfather, great-grandfathers, take the courage, get everybody together and close the matter. You cannot disinherit any heir. You cannot say, Allah forbid, this child of mine, whatever, for whatever reason he did this to me, so I disinherit him. First of all, the mufti won't uphold that. They'll give him his inheritance. But the hadith, what does the hadith say? That person who disinherits any of his heirs, Allah, Allah Ta'ala will deprive him of his, of his share of inheritance of Jannah on the day of Qiyamah. So this is not for us to do. It's not our choice who it goes to. What belonged to us is only what was left in trust with us while we were living. When we pass away, now the real owner has taken it and he'll distribute to who he wants to. Can a Muslim inherit from a non-Muslim and vice versa? In the last program we had this question. So somebody who has become a Muslim and his family are still not Muslim, his children are still not Muslim. Allah forbid. Muslim does not inherit from a non-Muslim and a non-Muslim does not inherit from a Muslim. Both ways. So if, unless they've left a bequest... And left, they left a bequest to that. So a will. So if somebody's father is non-Muslim, and he's now Muslim, his father leaves a will and he leaves something for him, he's made a bequest for him, then that will be acceptable. No problem, he can receive that. But if his father didn't leave it, and the state says now, according to our distribution system, you inherit so much, he cannot take that. It's not halal for him. He'll have to give it back amongst his siblings. He'll have to do a redistribution and give it to the balance of the non-Muslim siblings. Both ways. This will work. Either whether it's coming to you, or whether it's going from you to a... To, to, a, to, a, to, a, to, a, to one of your offspring. Okay, now we come to the next one, a declaration form. This is simple, we almost done our declaration form. 
if it's a generic will like the one that you have in front of you, then the same witnesses that were there have to just testify that you had actually filled this in. It's a requirement. You just fill it in, put your names according to the same witnesses need to sign it, and this will be put into your will. The will is actually, the, the will that is submitted to court is only those seven pages. That up to page, what is it? Uh, up to page seven, yeah. That's what, the will and the declaration form. The balance of it doesn't go to court. It's only for references for your children. The next one, the wasiyah, the bequest, codicil, if you go in, into the will, you'll see it there. Make a few copies of this before you fill it in. This is what we said that your wasiyah must be committed to writing. So whatever you wanted to make wasiyah for whoever, committed to writing, and that will then be put into your will. So if you left a shop or a house or a business, and you want it to go to a particular person or madrasa, then you have to fill this in and it has to be submitted with your will. So in other words, the court will then say, okay, this property is now going to be transferred onto that masjid name. So if you don't do this, the court is not going to award it. It must be dated after the will, obviously, because anything dated before this will, your will here in the beginning, you said anything before it will be null and void. So obviously it has to be dated after the date of your will. Okay, inventory of assets, list of items that I own. Important, write down in the house, like we mentioned earlier on, who owns what in the house. The next one is, fill this and keep it updated as well. Who? This one here is your personal creditors, people who I owe. So whoever you're owing money, write it down, so that when you pass away, your children are able to give the money to them. Otherwise, that debt will remain outstanding, and on the day of Qiyamah, you'll have to do bartering with your amal there. And people that owe you, I borrowed so much money to so and so person, you got a whole you got a whole sheet here, you can fill it in very easy. We made it very easy, Alhamdulillah. You fill it in there, I owe I borrowed this person thousand rand, he paid me two hundred, two hundred, balance is four hundred. When you when you pass away, very simple for your children to go. Say, look, Daddy, according to Daddy's records, last month you paid him, there's a balance of so much. Then he can recover there, whatever is theirs. The next one, religious liabilities. Just a little discussion on this. Unpaid zakat and sadaqatul fitr. If a person has outstanding zakat or sadaqatul fitr, it should be made a note of here that I didn't pay so much zakat. Try to ensure that your zakat is fulfilled in your lifetime. But if, for whatever reason, you're unable to do all of it, then make a note of it here that I'm still owing so much zakat, and up to one-third of your estate, it will be paid. Kafara, fast broken without a valid reason. In your young days, junoon, Broke a fast, not missed a fast, broke a fast. We just discussed the masla quickly. If a Balikh person in the month of Ramadan, for a Hanafi this is, in the month of Ramadan, without a valid reason, is breaks his fast, willfully he breaks his fast. In other words, he, the sanctity of Ramadan was violated. Then for him will be, he must fast 60 consecutive days to make that up. Plus the one day that he had broken. So 61 fast he'll have to keep. So if you and you must if you kept fifty nine and on the sixtieth day you got sick or you couldn't keep it, you start from number one again. So if you're unable to do this and one one kafara for any given Ramadan. So if you're unable to do this, then leave it in your in your will. Your heirs will then take out the kafara for it. The next one, fidya, unkept fast with a valid excuse, illness, travel, kada, etc. Make a note of it there so that you can pay it. Kafara broken promise. If you had broken a promise, the kafara is, is to feed ten people. There's a procedure to feed ten people. If you can't, then clothe them. There's a whole procedure. But if you didn't do it, then leave it. We'll see it. Outstanding Qurbani. Qurbani won't be made for you. Outstanding Qurbani. The Qurbani won't be done for you at that time. That money will be given in Sadaqah. So if you didn't make Qurbani, you, 
you were not, you were not aware for whatever reason, then leave, leave it in here. That five years I owe Qurbani. When you pass away, it will be given. Best would be to sort it out in your lifetime, but if you're unable to, then leave it there. Obligatory Hajj, if there is, Hajj became compulsory on you, then make a note of it here. Because then up to one third of your estate, they'll have to do it. Next page, these items were left by me for safekeeping, simple. Whatever is left by you, amanat, and whatever you left by, whatever you borrowed. So somebody left something to look after, write it here, so tomorrow they don't distribute it amongst your heirs. They know this doesn't belong to daddy. He left a note here, this belongs to somebody else. And if you borrowed somebody's item or you left somebody, that's also kept there. I was sending salah record, simple. Make copies of this, fill it in, and make sure that uh, it's updated regularly. So when you, the day you pass away, your family will be able to look, okay, daddy had 10 years, he performed 5 years, he's got 5 years left. Parting advices to my family, there's an empty page in there you'll see. In your own handwriting, leave some nasiha for them. At that time, at your loss, at that time now, the heart is soft. Whatever you, whatever you say, daddy said must do this, you're going to do it at that time. So leave them nasiha. You kept the TV in your house, you bought the TV. One is you committed the haram, you, you subjected them to this haram. Now they watched all of this haram on the TV that was going on there. Men, women, all of it. You gone to the qabr, you're perpetuating that. The sun is going to be perpetuated. So write some wasiyat. Don't fight amongst yourselves. Write wasiyat. By when I left you in the dunya, you were Muslim. I went waiting for you people on the other side in Jannah, you must be Muslim. Don't leave and don't take it for granted. We find daily, daily occurrence. Sometimes huffaz, sometimes people, our home, people like our homes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That person became murtad. This person became murtad. He went to university there. Whatever the story is. So, write wasiyat for them. Send Isali Thawab for me. Right there. Just visit my cover. I know you're going to be busy. Friday is possible. Come and see me. Just come make salam. Read three times. Qulullah for me. These things will have an effect on their hearts. When, when you are gone, they'll follow it. The conclusion is important. Mamata ala wasiyatin. Hadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Person who passes away leaving a wasiyah, leaving a will. So this, this will that you're going to sign. Mata ala sabilin wa sunnatin. He has passed away on a clear path and on sunnah. So what a simple thing. 20 rand, get your executors and sign it tonight. It's done, finish. You're going to get this virtue. You'll be passing away on sunnah and on a clear path. Mata ala tuqan wa shahadatin. You're going to be passing away on taqwa and shahadat. Different darajas of shahadat, different levels of shahadat. You'll get shahadat for leaving a wasiyat. Hadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sadiqul Masduq. And mata maghfuran lahu. You'll pass away in a condition that Allah has forgiven you. So such a simple thing to do. One, acquire one will, put in the executor's names, sign it. All of the, whatever you require is all put in there already. Now tomorrow, you can fill in all the other addendums that you need to put in. Shaitan will put things in your mind. No, I could first speak to my accountant. I must work out how much kada I have. I need to work this out. I need to do that. Procrastinate, procrastinate until before you know it, time is up. So you don't have to do all of that. Tonight when you go home, you go now, you fill it in, you get it done. All the other things you'll do afterwards. You just have to choose your executives, fill in their names, you sign it, they get the witnesses to sign it. And what you get in exchange? The person who passes away leaving a wasiyat. is passing away on a clear path in sunnah. is passing away on taqwa. is passing away as a shaheed. And is passing away in the condition that Allah Ta'ala forgives him. What, a, what an easy way to secure our jannah. Actually, this is filling in your will. 
is an acknowledgement of reality. Because now you have to sit down and say, okay, hold on. I got that account running there, that is interest, this is wrong, that is wrong. It brings you to reality that I'm going to be going now. So it's an opportunity for you to fix your akhirat am. But just one for yourself, one for all your siblings, for your spouse as well. Tonight, the world is cheaper than the roses. So cut the roses and the chocolates out tonight. Buy one extra wool and take it for your family. And let them also sign it. This applies to everybody. If there's any questions, inshallah, Mutisab can come forward. The question is, can a beneficiary be an executor? Yes, your beneficiaries can be your executors. For example, your son, your daughter, etc. They can be executors of, in your will. But I'm understood if you, uh, if you want to give a gift, as, a fixed property as gift, and uh, before the formal legal transfer has taken place. So what is the requirement from a Shari perspective is that they must have uh, possession, effective control. So it doesn't require formal transfer, it requires effective control. So example, the example Mona gave as well, you, you're living in a house, you want to give the house to your wife. So you take your personal belongings, you exit the house, and you give your wife the key, give her the bills, etc. This is your house, you can do with it as you wish, you have control over it, you are also responsible for it. The day, a little later you ask her permission, can I come into the house? She gives you permission, you enter the house. So effectively she has control over it, and she can take, uh, do as she wish. Although the legal process may take time, you may transfer it into a house, uh, her name is still. But for the meanwhile, because she has effective control, it's, it's considered from a Shari perspective that it is hers. And if you have to pass away in the interim before the formal transfer, from a Shari perspective, it will be regarded as her house and it will not form part of your estate. Okay. okay. This, this point has come again, but let's, uh, once again, uh, for the donation, the legal term we use is donation. Sometimes in colloquial language you call it a gift. For, in terms of Sharia, for the donation to be valid, the person receiving it, we call him a donee, he must have possession of it. So if you take the car, you give him the logbook, you give him the keys and you tell him it's yours. Now he's got physical possession of that. In that case, it now belongs to him. But if you merely say it verbally or even if you put it in writing, but you haven't given effective control. You didn't give him the car keys, you didn't give him the logbook, etc. It is still yours, because he hasn't taken possession of it. It's still yours. So it will form part of your estate. Okay. One is, it's not binding as yet. It will merely work at best as a suggestion to the other heirs. But it can co create complications. But if the other heirs are freely and with a happy heart, they willingly want to give it over, by all means, there's no harm in that. But again, you want to avoid those situations where some person may feel in his heart, you know what, I feel I need it, but now I feel shy. My father said he must take it. I don't want to create a ruckus. I don't. He's not giving it freely and willingly from his heart. So don't create such those situations. Have your affairs clear, simple, straightforward, everybody understands the position and there's no opportunity for misunderstanding and for ill feelings. Okay. 
while we are on that point, we'll come to you, son. While we are on that point, well, as Mola has discussed, there's a difference between what we call gifting or donation and a sale. If for some reason possession is going to be a challenge, then you can, as an alternative, do a sale, even if the sale is at a normal amount. Because the moment you conclude a sale, when you have an offer and an acceptance, then in terms of Sharia, the deal is concluded. Now, for the ownership to be transferred, at this point in time, possession is not a requirement. Let's say if you're going to go the route of a sale. So if, if you are dealing with such an asset which may, possession may be a challenge it's a, for whatever reason, the alternative would be instead of giving it as a donation, sell it, in which case the requirement of possession is not, is, is not required. According to us, Hanafis, there's uh, this concept, or it's in the Arabic term we call it Umrah, that is for as long as you are living. So you cannot do, uh, give uh, such a right to an heir. So your wife is your natural heir, so you can't give her such a right. So you either give her ownership, like we explained, in your lifetime you can give her ownership, or if you don't give her ownership in your lifetime, it's still part of your estate, it will belong to all the heirs, and if they wish to give her residency, a right of uh, occupation, etc., it's up to them. But for in, uh, you, in your will, cannot stipulate that I'm giving her right of occupation for as long as she lives. It, it, that will not be valid in terms of Sharia. Okay. One is some, some, some people have a list of wishes. Now, it depends exactly what they put as the substance under the title but it will be at best recommendations or uh, suggestions to the heirs, but it doesn't bind them. They're not obliged to do so. So if the father says, you know what, my wish is that this business must go to my eldest son or this car must go to my... But he didn't, neither give it in his lifetime, uh, or nor did he sell it, etc. It merely serves as a recommendation. And again, once again, it's not binding on the heirs, but again, it has the potential of also creating misunderstandings among them. It should be something, as far as ownership, should be clear, either here or there. Not that it is mine, but I also want to suggest things. Because if, if, if the heirs now turned out that suggestion, it may create ill feelings amongst themselves. Right? The second aspect is regarding trust. Now, trust is uh, quite a detailed uh, topic, but it eventually, essentially, bound, boils down to the wording of the trust deed. Now, you can have a trust where, in, in a genuine sense, you want to pass ownership onto to the beneficiaries. That is also possible. That can, the, the trust deed can be worded in that way. In which in case, in the eyes of, from the Shari perspective, we will regard the beneficiaries the, as the real owners of those assets that are housed in the trust. That is one form you can have a trust. The more common form is, it is merely done for tax purposes and for other legal purposes, but if it's, I'm just using an example, if it's my trust in my name, effectively I'm the real owner. Although I have my beneficiaries, my wife, my children, etc., effectively I'm still the owner. Control is still solely in my hands. So from a Shari perspective, we regard it as my asset. Therefore, in the trust deed, separate from the will, in the trust deed, I must make provision that upon my demise, whatever assets are in this trust 
must go to my Shari'i heirs in that particular proportion as stipulated in Shari'at. So that clause will be necessary to add on into the trust deed and it's not covered in the will because in the eyes of the law, your personal estate is something separate, your trust is something separate and they're regarded to be separate entities. Your will can, can dictate regarding your personal assets, whatever is in your name. But the will does not dictate what happens in the trust. Where will you find the instruction of the trust? In the trust deed itself. So therefore, even you, uh, if a person is setting up a trust, get proper advice from a both legal perspective and from a shady perspective. I'll just use a simple example. I gave a hundred rand and I tell you, pay as you can manage. The day I pass away, the entire hundred rand becomes due and payable by you to my estate. Irrespective of how, what arrangement I may have made to you. Well, I told you we can pay over 10 years, 20 years, etc. The way I pass away, it's not my right anymore. It's the right of the estate which now devolved to the heirs. So it becomes due and payable by you to the estate immediately upon my demise. So what instructions I may have given you that invest for my wife, etc., all that falls away. One is from an Islamic perspective. Because there is a valid sale, from the, we will consider that the house belongs to your wife. But then you're going to have complications from a legal perspective because the, t the title deed is still in your name. Right? That's correct. As far as the possession aspect, uh, that falls away. So the, uh, just you need an offer and acceptance. And ideally, if you do it in black and white, that will avoid any misunderstanding. <coughs> that is correct. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's a nominal amount, or what do you say, a token fee, right? Then too, it's, it's still valid. Yeah. So it will form part of her estate, right? And then she must also have a will, and then it will go to her heirs. Okay, the question is, if the debts of the estate are more than the assets, then in that case, the heirs are not required to fill in from their side and to pay up the debts. Obviously, if they do so voluntarily from their side, well and good, it will be beneficial for the deceased, but there is no obligation from their side. The person will now be answerable on the day of Qiyamah, he will have to repay those debts. So it's also a lesson for us that we live within our means and don't over budget, don't live beyond what we can afford. Because even if we don't pay in this world, we'll have to pay in the Akhirat. Okay. It goes back to, we don't have freedom of gestation in Sharia. So she will only get her stipulated share and the residue after that will go to the next closest relative. Now there is quite a detailed formula that applies in Sharia. Who is the next relative? We go up, in the male line, we go up and we look, it can be your cousins, it can be uncles, etc. It's quite, it's quite elaborate, but it's an extremely rare situation where you will find that there's no residue as. But the technical point is, if there is such a residue and there is in reality no other heirs, then in an Islamic state it goes to the Baytul Mal, the residue. But it's not that the wife gets the full estate. Right? She's a lady who is a Muslim and she has no other relatives. But then the husband, is he a Muslim or not? Sorry. 
So he will get his share, and then the, again there's a reliable formula. If there's no other heirs, then he, he effectively gets the residue. This issue is a relatively recent issue that has come up and has been discussed by various muftis. Now you'll find there's two views exist amongst the muftis here in South Africa. One group, is, uh, one set of muftis says, in these particular circumstances where you, it, you can ensure that it will not be abused and it will be used specifically for estate duty only, there is uh, one group of muftis allow it. Another group of muftis. I've taken the view that, you know, as far as insurance is concerned, under no circumstances will it be permissible. Again, whichever group of muftis you have confidence in, take that view and uh, see. I mean, don't make it an issue uh, for debate. For your own practical purposes, whoever you got confidence in, take that uh, the person's view and uh, practice upon that. There's some detail as far as provident. We'll have to look into the issues of whether it was a compulsory provident fund or a voluntary, etc., and how much contributions you had made as deducted from your salary, etc. So as far as if it was voluntary and it was you had contributed to that extent that you made contribution, that to that extent that must fall back into your estate and go to all your heirs. Where it was compulsory or you, and rejected without your choice, etc., there it is in the position of a donation. It is the, the fund that is donating to your wife. So your wife would be the sole beneficiary of that particular benefit from the provident fund. So it, it depends on the nature of the fund and the voluntary nature of the fund. Only the person who has been stipulated, where is a compulsory, uh, you see, provident fund, the stipulated beneficiary in that fund will receive solely. Means, for example, your wife in this example, you gave. only she'll benefit, not the others. It'll be separate from your estate. Separate from your estate. Uh, again, bequests are generally in the form of cash or kind, that is what is present. I presently own, and you can say an X number of rands to be using, to be given for, for this. Then the same rules apply that apply to Wasiat, maybe limited to one third of the estate, will be applicable. So, and thereafter, whichever avenue you want to, whether it's distributing to a well, Kurbani, etc., you can stipulate which form it must take. Uh, we see it only takes the form of transference of ownership. Here, looking after a pet is not transfer. You're not transferring an X number of rands or a particular asset to an individual. You're just merely suggesting that money must be used in this form. That type of wasiyat uh, will not take place. You can't say, can't say in a loose end, they don't look after the cat or look after the dog, etc. That's not wasiyat. It won't be counted as wasiyat. There's, no, there's no transference of a specific amount or a specific asset to an individual or to a organization or such. 
れありがとうございました。